Yes, so our psalm uh, this morning is uh, Psalm 23, and uh, we had a little bit of a preview from Graham on uh, during the week, and I was really looking forward to him preaching this. So uh, he, was, he had a take on it that I'd never uh, heard before, but I, I won't do justice to that. So uh, you just have to take the take that you have for you. Well, what a what a psalm! I mean, what a what a passage! Everybody. Uh, it's so well known, Psalm 23. We most of us would, I'd hope, know it off by heart, and uh, uh, certainly a lot of people who are not religious know Psalm 23 just as they know uh, how great they are. Probably, maybe because of Elvis Presley, but uh, uh, Psalm 23 is is has traditionally been sung uh, at funerals, and so. Uh, yeah, why have it? Why preach about it on a Sunday, anyway? But it's uh, it's of course one of those powerful passages, and, and if you're like me, you've actually made it your own through life, and I think that is the true context for the psalm. It's actually not a a funeral, uh, a sympathetic funeral message, but it's actually a life. Uh, it's a life journey, and I find just constantly, uh, in fact, more than ever. When I'm in, in critical situations in hospital with a person that's uh, very ill or the, their life might be in the balance uh, or a person that's in a crisis, I find that my counsel, my prayer, my whole, uh, my whole direction in my ministry to them is governed by this. I find that it's just it's so God, it's, it's easy to mem- uh, memorize. Uh, it's, uh, it's something that carries us through to what uh, most wonderful uh, solution and completion uh, and uh, it's uh, yeah so it's a, it's a life psalm it's a something that, that God's given us like the Lord's prayer it's something that we can work through in our own lives in so many whether it's in a crisis or whether it's not so much in a crisis so the Lord is my shepherd so that's a uh, our first uh, statement there, which probably summarizes the whole psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. And uh, interestingly, this whole notion of, of shepherd, in fact, there's, I think there's 50 words in the psalm. And uh, unlike other psalms, there's very little repetition. It's really succinct. There's not a lot of of fill in this psalm. It's really complete in, in its entirety, and it's a masterpiece as a poem, as a poem that God's given us. And so, uh, it, it every part of it is, and I will not do justice justice to it this morning. Uh, there's a huge list of people who have preached this, and uh, it can be preached in so many ways. But Lord, I just pray this morning that somehow. Yeah, who we are this morning, who who is here this morning, and the situations we're in, that, Lord, that you would become real, that you would come and visit us, because your promise here, Lord, is that you are our shepherd, and shepherds are with their sheep. And if we are a sheep this morning of, of Christ, if we are part of God's flock, God's company, God's people, then one thing is for sure, he is present. 
And uh, just as Josh was saying last week as God spoke through joy, and that really ministered to me. And we had a, it was just so, there was so much in there. We had to abruptly finish our life group during the week because it could have gone on and on and on. Uh, yeah, just talking about the different wells, that was just just powerful, the, the wells that we sink when we're going through different crises or transitions. So, Lord of Shepherd. Now, this whole notion of Lord of Shepherd is something that's not just uh, Bible, it's not just uh, Hebrew, uh, but it's something that was in a, uh, understood in a lot of ancient cultures who saw that their king, their leader, or their gods uh, were the one that looked at were those who looked after them, and th- these the terminology here, the Lord is my shepherd, uh, like a, like a shepherd. That was an analogy, obviously, that everyone in previous uh, societies, more agrarian, understood the role of the shepherd, and uh, and of course there were negative roles to that too. In fact, shepherds were a, a uh, a bunch of ragamuffins, I think, in the large. Uh, but uh, we we here see a picture of a good shepherd, and so there are, there are examples of where um, uh, leaders of empires have, have made a statement about the kind of rule that they will offer as a shepherd looks after the sheep. Others are saying to their people, "The kind of leader I want to be for you." Is, is one that you are secure, that you're looked after, that you're happy, that uh, and I'm sure any prime minister who is worth their uh, tinner fish would want to do the same. It's a terrible analogy, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> worth a pot of gold is, uh, you know, is that kind, has that in their heart. They want uh, any nation, they want their nation to be secure. So it's the Lord is my shepherd, and of course, as children find, you know, I shall not want. So you know, it's that's often the bane of many jokes. You know that we, uh, he's our shepherd, but we don't want him. You know, and uh, uh, God forbid that uh, we would not want the Lord who is, a, who is a shepherd. But rather, it's as we understand it, we will not be in want. Uh, we will not lack anything, and. Uh, in in as or sorry as such, uh, it's a, de- a declaration of God's sufficiency for us. Now, one of the the comments we have on this is that we live in a cu- consumer society, and in fact, if we believe that, if if in the church we believe that, and if as a nation we believe that the Lord is our shepherd, uh, we have no lack, then our economic system would would fall down would break down and, and be destroyed overnight. <laughs> okay. Because our economic system is based on consumerism and on I don't have it yet. You know, I want that. I see it. You show it to me and I want it. So we, we're constantly battered and badgered uh, everywhere we look, everywhere we listen, uh, that we uh, are still to have something more. Uh, whether it's going on a holiday, whether it's uh, uh, to, to a certain place. Everything, as far as our consumerism, is increasing at a huge rate of knots. And, uh, and our capacity for more is, is and, and our expectation for more 
and that expectation that we're putting on our children as well uh, is becoming a rod for our own back uh, but it's also becoming a whole momentum of society and I think historically that sort of direction ends up in a what a uh, a stock crash or a uh, it ends up in a war or ends up in some sort of disaster unfortunately because we just can't keep going in that direction and survive and so perhaps the great exhortation here this morning is you know as God's people as a child of God how how controlled how consumed are we by consumerism uh, whether it's eco-consumerism or, you know, the, the consumerism has affected missions. It's affected everything we do in life. And it's hard to look at it because we're, in the, we're already cooked in this, in this uh, pot. Uh, but perhaps it's a challenge there. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not be in want. And therefore, when things, when we lose our job, when we lose our health, when we lose something... Um, relationship when we lose something that really affects our lives then perhaps God is saying I'm here I'm here I've been here all along but you've been missing me and I've been missing you it's time to come back and it's time to come back perhaps to simplicity and I know a lot of people and I love it when I meet people who are who are being countercultural in the way they live uh, they they're living more simply as a so others can simply live. And they are sacrificing so that others uh, can have a life. And so that, uh, that is really counter-Australian counter uh, culture, isn't it? Uh, we're so, as part of this Western system, economically driven. So anyway, that's, uh, that's probably a whole message in there alone. And we're only on the first verse. Um, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, or better, it's actually not still waters, okay? Uh, still waters are stagnant waters. You wouldn't want to go near them. Um, he's talking about slow-moving waters. He's talking about clear water. Uh, he's talking about life-giving water there. And so here's a picture of provision. Lying down. I mean, to lie down, for a sheep to lie down, a sheep had to be secure. And not only that, there's green grass around. Graham, Graham did mention that our notion of an English countryside with a beautiful creek going through is perhaps not what the psalmist was looking at. When he, being from the Middle East, when he was looking at this sort of place. But he nevertheless was looking at the kind of pasture, the kind of situation in which a sheep, a person, could be uh, secure and they, they uh, uh, could be restored. And that's a beautiful part of it, isn't it? He restores my soul. There's a place of restoration. I remember his coming uh, to Christ and reading this uh, way back in, I think, 1976 it was, my second year of being a Christian, and reading that, and we were singing that, of course, uh, learning the, the, used to sing hymns in those days, and I remember meditating on that I was, as I was working, and I realized that God, for me, that came alive, that God was actually doing a work in me to restore me. I had been living, I'd been experimenting with drugs, and I had uh, been 
damaged myself in relationships and uh, and uh, apart, of, apart from that, in that process, um, I had uh, I had become very very vulnerable and uh, and uh, empty inside. And what I found was, I in my lifestyle, I'd be walking away from what is good. But I found that God immediately began to give me what is good and restore my personality. It's the thing about. All the young people that are on drugs or on ice or, or controlled by alcohol, you know, who have given themselves to these vices, is that, that it robs them, it steals. It's the devil's tool to steal their soul. And uh, welcome back, Daniel and Marion. God bless you. So nice to have you back. It's been so long. <laughs> yeah. Lovely to have you back. You look so well, too. Amazing. You must be living this psalm. <laughs> but did you go through the valley of the shadow of death? Sometimes, yeah, okay. He's living the psalm. Um, praise God. So there's, a, there's a, a wonderful work that God begins by His Spirit in us to restore our soul, to restore our personality, to restore the life, the well-being within us, to correct us. And in, in line with that, He says, He leads me in the paths of of righteousness for his name's sake. So in this restorative uh, process, he begins to lead us in paths of righteousness. And those, that word paths, um, it, it is, it is, it's, it's really meaning tracks or entrenchments. And what we have the picture here is ruts made by an ox cart. That's the, that's the description of the word used there. And so it's, it's, uh, it's uh, and you know what it's like with sheep, you know, they, they do tend to form uh, ruts on, in the hillside. And you've got to watch it sometimes, don't you? Because they can be pretty deep and skinny. Uh, but uh, we have this picture here of he leads me in paths, ruts. I think the psalmist probably has that kind of picture in his mind. In other words, God gets us into the groove of living a different kind of life. God gets us into the groove of, of living his kind of life. He causes us to walk in paths that are right. Our responses, our language, our, 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 the way we treat people in terms of righteousness, it really is talking not only on our, about our relationship with God, but it's talking about our relationship with others. It's making things right that were wrong. And... Uh, you know, what, one of the things I, you know, before, I, I've never confessed this before, but I, you know, I, I had a, a habit of, of stealing, actually, before I became a Christian. And I remember one of the first things I did, I was convicted in my heart, and I went and I returned everything that I'd stolen uh, back to those places. And, 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 uh, and to, the, to the extent that uh, the shop owners could have taken me to task. I'm glad they didn't. They could have uh, taken me to the to the police, you know. Not that I was a huge uh, hypochondriac, but uh, but that was, uh, you know, a, a part of my diminished person. And uh, <laughs> just watch, just just watch your handbags. That's <laughs> but um, but uh, you know, part of that repentance for me, part of my restoration was 
was making things right and living right and and living an exemplary life and I, and I knew I had to live totally different and I, I've when I come across people who've been alcoholics or who've had uh, habits that are, are very life controlling uh, often they'll seem to be very extreme in doing the right thing uh, to you and they may be over the top you, you may find them uh, uncomfortable but you might find them a bit too fanatical but I tell you what when you've been in that lifestyle you need to be I've, I've worked as a chaplain uh, uh, in prisons for about four years and uh, I know there are many guys in there and they they really um, many of them come to faith many of them read the Bible in there and uh, but uh, the the thing you know about people that are in that have been in a lifestyle of drugs and have usually stolen things and, and got themselves in prison through that um, they really have to be 100% right on the right path if they if there's any notion of compromise then uh, they are in huge trouble if someone you know with alcoholism you cannot uh, they cannot put themselves in a place where there's a sniff of it otherwise they're off on that road and and so that which was a great weakness becomes a great strength when it's handed into God's hands. Um, it becomes a, um, a, a, a strong, a deep rut of righteousness that they begin to walk in. And uh, that's, a, that's a thing to be celebrated and not to be uh, dis, you know, dismissed uh, when, when you have people that are more religious than us and perhaps for a purpose. Jesus is the trailblazer in grooves of righteousness. He brings us into right relationships with each other and God. Right grooves sustain right relationships with community and God. And So this is the, the, the picture here. God is, and you'll find this in this psalm, that a, that a lot of it, its direction is actually to bring us into community. It's into, to bring us into the richness of his house. And so his house is his people. And therefore he, he goes from, uh, uh, from, uh, from the, uh, uh, the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now that word death is perhaps not a, the best translation. Uh, it's more of a notion of deep darkness. Even though I walk through the valley of depression, of despair, of grief, uh, of, of loss. Sure, that, that is deep there. Um, it might be mental health. We might be so affected by something and, and, and it might be in us that mentally we are affected deeply. And in that valley, in that place, in that season, the promise is, I will fear no evil because you are with me. So the promise there, there's a lot of conjecture about the rod and the staff. What's the rod do? You know, to, to drive off the, the wolves and the bears and the, and the staff to lead. Uh, that, that can all be good conjecture. But basically, God is saying through this to us that he is with us. He is present. We don't have to fear evil because he is with us. And he is our comforter. 
You know, we know that uh, God is with us and the Holy Spirit is indeed with all those who follow Jesus, the shepherd. And so deep darkness valleys are part of the journey. And I think the Psalms, it, you know, the, the title, Honest to God, that is very much a part of the journey. That we, from time to time, uh, will we'll go through seasons of, of, of deepness. And these that uh, Joy talked about last week uh, identified with these wells that, 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 you, that we dig and those, those uh, times of despair. Because as we dig those, they become uh, places of, of sustenance for others. And Joy was saying we would use the terminology of the, of the straw. Others can put their straws in and drink from that cocktail. And, and so um, as we find God in those valleys, in those experiences, and, and as you know, Josh was um, alerting us to this morning, some of us this morning uh, will be in some kind of valley or maybe coming out, but certainly identify uh, with these times of, uh, of depression or darkness. It says, I will fear no evil. Evil is real. Uh, but God's presence is a superior reality. Evil is real, but God's presence is a superior reality. One of the things that on, on Wednesday night at our life group, uh, I, I just came together for me, was uh, the fact that uh, many of us in our group were sharing their stories of going through difficult times. And we realized as we looked around the group, there was few that, that were not or had not been through very deep valleys in their lives. Uh, but the, and the question we often ask, and the question my mother-in-law will always ask, as she says, as a counsellor of many years, she used to say, don't ask why. You know? But now that she's just lost her, uh, her husband of you know, um, how many years, 60-something years, she's asking why. Why, Lord? It's hard not to ask why. And so it, it's easy to give quick answers to why you're going through it. And sadly, there's been a lot of injury in the church where people have made judgments or assessments as to why we're going through various seasons. Because we'll almost 100% get it wrong. <laughs> okay, Only God knows really what we're going through. And, and I'm, I've come to the conclusion is I don't know what I'm going through as well. I can learn a lot. But I will never know really why I went through that or even really what happened. And I don't have to know. But what I do need to know is that he is with me. And that is what I can say with confidence. Isn't that right, Peter? That he is with us. He is with us. Isn't that right, Jenny? He is with Isn't that right, Leanne? He is with us. Isn't that right, you two? Humans, He is with us. Yeah, isn't that right, Chris and Noah? He is with us. He is with your brother. Yeah, he is with us. He will never, his promises, because he's bringing us to understand his kind of love, his covenant love with us. The cross, of course, is where, is the deepest, darkest valley, uh, where God proved that he was one, with Christ in death and resurrection. I had the privilege a couple of weeks ago to 
to attend a, a theological conference at, at the University of Queensland. And one of the topics there was uh, suffering, uh, suffering in the Bible. And uh, uh, the lecturer that actually Josh is familiar with, uh, Andrew McGowan, uh, expertly traced the whole notion of suffering in a, and typically we, we, we associate sacrifice rather with, with atonement and, and as, as being a fix for us. But in the area of, of sacrifice, um, um, it's, it's, of, it's obviously uh, something that God is wanting to show that in sacrifice and in suffering, he is with us. But we also had a Pentecostal teacher, and what he began to show is that in that suffering is that the Holy Spirit was with Jesus all the way through. Often we have, and I have my understanding, and it's come through across the pulpit, it's come through a general understanding is that, that somehow God divorced Jesus, you know, uh, as he became sin. And, and I'm sure there is a, some kind of, of, of fact of, of truth in that. But what we do see, though, is that the Holy Spirit is with Jesus from the, before he was born, obviously, you know, uh, he's with Jesus all the way through. He's with Jesus right up, right up to the cross. And then does, does the Holy Spirit suddenly leave Jesus at the cross? No, no. The Holy Spirit, God, is with him continually. Even when he became sin, God is faithful. And, and I think that's a, it's a truth we need to reestablish that when we see the that what they call the pneumatology, when we understand the work of the Holy Spirit through the life of Jesus, even in his darkest hour, even at the cross, even at that place of taking the sin of the world upon him, uh, God would not leave him. Death could not hold him because God, by his Spirit, lifts him up. He's with him and takes him into the, the, the world of darkness and then raises him up again. So we find that God is with us. God prevails with us. And therefore we should have and can have no fear. And therefore it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You prepare a feasting place, a, a table of honor in the presence of my enemies. It's an interesting picture. The, the writer here doesn't promise that God will make your enemies your friends. Okay? He says, in fact, he almost in this thing sits your enemies, the enemies, adjacent to you so that you can see them. You're at a table, you're at a place where your enemies are actually present with you. But what they see is, what they see is that the host now, not no longer the shepherd, we're moving to the host. And you'll find the remaining verses move from the, the shepherd and sheep analogy to the host. And he takes us be, uh, into his presence, uh, to his table, and he anoints our head with oil. Now we know oil speaks of, for example, the anointing and giving prestige, isn't it? It's one of the highest honors. This is what Samuel does to David and other kings. Uh, uh, subsequently, this process of anointing is of the highest honor. And so 
What God promises us is he takes us and he's speaking to us all. This is a shepherd psalm for all who will respond. He's taking us into the very presence of our enemies. Now, those enemies may actually be literal people. They might be people in your family. They might be people in church. They might be people in your workplace. Uh, they, they might be people in your past, your enemies, uh, that are coming to kill you if they know where you are. I've met a number of people that have been in that position. Their lives have been a threat. But we see here that they are placed in the presence of their enemies, but they are honored with oil. Now, oil also speaks of renewal. The thing about, in the ancient world, oil um, was given to the athletes. The athletes were anointed with oil because in that hot climate, their, their uh, bodily, their, they would dehydrate. What oil would do uh, was, would stop that dehydration. And it would protect them as they were doing their marathons and as athletes or in war. So they were anointed. Uh, uh, it was also something that was not just a, a gooey thing that, that would go on their head. It was something that would actually make them feel absolutely amazing. You know what it's like to have a hot shower after you've been in the cold sea or, or, or been in the cold and you have a nice warm shower. It's absolutely amazing, isn't it, Clive? Yeah. Yeah, if you've been out there in the surf or whatever on the on the water, it's a hot shower can be such a beautiful thing. This it's a picture of that renewal that happens as as oil come God's oil, God's spirit comes upon us. Highest honor. And our cup overflows. It's speaking again of a continual favor. In other words, your cup is continually filled. You're so special. You're so precious. You're so honored before because of God's love for you that he keeps that cup. The host keeps your cup filled as a sign. Others might go without, but you, he's actually filling your cup. Isn't that nice? What a beautiful picture of the way, what a beautiful metaphor of the way God loves us. My cup overflows. God can't get enough. As a host, he can't get enough in our cup. And then it, then it goes on. I mean, it's so easy to preach from this, isn't it? It's just, oh dear, it's, it's amazing. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I remember my father-in-law telling about this, and I think um, it was someone who had two dogs, two little dogs. One was called goodness, and one was called mercy. And they followed him all the days of his life. <laughs> This is not that kind of goodness and mercy. <laughs> it's a nice little thought. But um, that w obviously goodness, it's speaking about God's generosity of following us everywhere and to hold on to that. Um, actually, one of the things I've really appreciated about, about Hillsong over the years is, is the recovery of the teaching of the goodness of God. And I remember coming back from the Hillsong conference many years and I was driving in a little Ford. Uh, not a Ford, it was a Toyota Corolla and a little brown Toyota Corolla only had three gears because it was an automatic and we were screaming down uh, the highway, you know, and uh, I don't, you know, um, and, and I remember I was crying as I was returning from there because God had just ministered uh, to me in, in his amazing love that he actually is a generous God and he doesn't want us to 
to, to think that we have to live in a poverty mindset. And so often in church and in cultures, there can be a, a poverty mindset that tends to retard our expectation for good things to happen. And what I, what I love about you know, the, that conference is it, and, and the, uh, that movement is it has championed that the goodness of God, you know, and that's the anecdote that, that Brian Houston often gives, you know, uh, you know, it's about the goodness of God. And that is truth. It might not be the whole truth, but it is the truth. And uh, that was certainly truth that I needed. And, uh, and I, I trust this is what the psalmist is, is really embellishing here. He's saying that if you're a follower of Jesus, his promise Surely goodness is going to follow you. Mercy, that word mercy is the Hebrew word chesed, one of my favorite words. And it speaks of covenant love, covenant love. In other words, God is, is committed to us no matter, uh, not, not no matter what, but he's committed to us no matter what happens to us. Um, as we yield to him, he is faithful. It says that we may be unfaithful, but he is faithful. God is true. And the goodness and mercy shall follow me. The actual word is not so much follow like like the two little doggies. You know, it's actually a pursuit. And it's actually the pursuit of an enemy. It's, it's the same sort of terminology as someone an enemy army would pursue, say an Australian army, to wipe them out. They come out, they're using all their intelligence, all their machinations to get rid of them. They're doing everything possible to get and destroy and conquer. And that's the kind of pursuit we see here. Surely goodness and mercy. So in other words, God, just as evil, tries to pursue you, pursue you how much more God pursues you to bring good. Isn't that good news? How much more? He's actually at it. God is strategizing to do good in your life. He's... He's at work day and night. He's got all his minions, all his angels, and they are having, they're having meetings to strategize how God may work to do you good. This year, praise God. Next year, year after, for as many days as you live, praise God. And that's the, the beautiful promise here. It's not, it's not so much about... We've often used this psalm in terms of a funeral as, as the by and by. It's actually about life while we live. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me, will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell, I will dwell, I will continuously return to God's presence. Here's a call to come into the presence of God. I, you know, I've... I've uh, the sensation of going on a holiday, doing an adventure, doing something wonderful, doing the kind of thing that you see people doing in the movies. Who likes doing that sort of thing? I don't know. Going on an adventure, doing something, wow, I did that, you know. But I tell you, it's nothing compared with the well-being there is in God's people. You know, you can tell the story there. There's nothing that compares, and I think I shared this a couple of weeks ago, with the wonder and the well-being of being a part of God's family. What's the use of doing anything if you can't share it? What's the use of being anybody 
if no one can know about it. God blesses us, and his house, of course, is us. We are the house. We are the body. And God wants every believer to be connected, to be enmeshed, to be one, to be loved, to be enveloped by his house, his body. And that's you and I. We've got a job to do, to love one another. And I, just uh, as I begin to wind up now, I, I just want to uh, just read some of John because this actually relates to 1 John. It says, Children, uh, John in 1 John uh, 2, don't be fooled. Anyone who does right is good, just like Christ himself. If anyone who keeps on sinning belongs to the devil. So Paul, John is very straight here. Uh, certainly the psalmist says, God causes me to walk in right paths. That's a mark of a person who's a house of God person, a part of the family of God. Anyone who keeps on sinning belongs to the devil. He has sinned from the beginning. That's the devil. But the Son of God came to destroy all that he has done. God's children can't keep on being sinful. His life-giving power, see this imagery here, lives in them and makes them his children so that they cannot keep on sinning. So God's Spirit is causing us to walk in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake because he is honored as we love one another, as we care for one another, as we do what is pure and right in everything, as we think what is right. You can tell God's children from the devil's children because those who belong to the devil refuse to do right or to love each other. From the beginning you were told that we must love each other. Don't be like Cain who belonged to the devil and murdered his own brother? Just such explicit language, isn't it? Why did he murder him? He did it because his brother was good and he was evil. My friends, don't be surprised if the people of this world hate you. They become your enemies. Our love for each other provides that we have gone from death to life. But if you don't love each other, you are still under the power of death. So a mark of the family of God, a a mark of belonging, a mark of dwelling in the house of the Lord is, is, a, is, is the mark of how we love each other. If you hate what, each other, you're murderers. And we know that murderers don't have eternal life. We know that love, what love is, because Jesus gave his life for us. That's why we must give our lives for each other. I was talking with two couples. Both, uh, both uh, had a... Uh, both both uh, engagements have one American and one Australian in them, and we were te teaching about sex. And in that, um, we were teaching about I, I teach I love doing it about the gospel, about how it applies as we love one another, as we, as a husband, give ourselves and serve our wives in love, and as we mutually serve one another, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's a beautiful part of a relationship. It's a picture of the nature of God's relationship with us. And, uh, and so it's, it's a laid down life that we live for one another. We cannot afford to, afford to have dissension among us in the family. If there are enemies, if, we, if someone is like an enemy to us, then, then it's obviously wrong. We need to reconcile because it's essential that love is in the house. 
uh, children, you show love for others by truly helping them, not merely talking about it. When we love others, we know that we belong to the truth and we feel at ease in the presence of God. Isn't that a great picture here? We feel at ease. We know where we belong. But even he knows everything. Dear friends, if we feel at ease in the presence of God, we will have the courage to come near to him. Okay, so what we're saying here is if you can get on with each other and love one another and commit, it's talking about covenant love here, a deep level, ongoing, not superficial, not Sunday love. It's talking about a real deep belonging and involvement in each other's lives. If we can move from, from, uh, you know, from a, a superficial level of relationship, God is calling us in the psalm into a beautiful, deep, full engagement with one another. Because that's where, he says here, you'll discover God himself. That's where you'll discover God as we love one another. He will give us, then it says, this is just so echoes the psalm, he will give us whatever we ask because we obey him and do what pleases him. God wants us to have faith in his son, Jesus Christ, and to love each other. This is also what Jesus taught us to do. If we obey God's commands, we will stay one in our hearts. We, sorry, we will stay one in our hearts with him, and he will stay one with us. The spirit that he has given us is proof that we are one with him. And, you know, it's, it's, isn't it beautiful how John... John, uh, known for his Christian community around him and, uh, and love being the mark of that community. I've, I've well outdone my time, uh, but isn't it good just to take a bit of time to look at one of the great Psalms? Can I hand it over to you, Josh? Thanks. This was produced by Cornerstone Christian Resources. It is deemed copyright and may be used by permission. For further information about Cornerstone Christian Resources, please visit the Cornerstone website at www.homecommunityworld.com.au. Cornerstone meets at 81 Meter Parade Alderney every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Please feel free to join us. We hope you have been encouraged by this message.